topic we get to talk about today. Really grateful for these core seminars. I hope you're thankful for these core seminars too. Wow, I seem really loud. But I'm sure John will take care of that appropriately. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for the privilege of being together in parenting as a church. Thank you that your word speaks to all of life, just not spiritual, not just spiritual realities, but everyday realities. Really, your word shows us how to cast everyday realities underneath the umbrella of spiritual realities and how to live our everyday realities in light of spiritual realities. So help us, Father. Help us more broadly in these core seminars to connect the dots between our parenting and the gospel and help us specifically today to connect uh, our parenting of teenagers to the gospel and the church and your word. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, Teenagers these days. Have you ever heard that? Uh, Teens. I just heard from a brother, Josiah. He said, I got unsolicited advice a couple of years ago in the airport. Love these days when they become teenagers, hide underneath the bed and pray. Um, Right? So, you know, what's the, what's the view, just the common view and perception of the teenage years? The common view and perception is this is going to be a train wreck. And this is going to be, you know, unbelievably difficult. Um, all right, so some of you maybe, you, maybe you hear the teenage years and you, you think of it with wonder. Some of you think of it with gratefulness that you're past it. Some of you look at it with foreboding that it's ahead of you. Some of you are in the midst of it. Uh, some of you maybe don't know what to think, but let's just talk uh, a little bit about teenagers. First of all, it's worth noting that really there's no such thing as a teenager in the Bible. It is not really a biblical category nor even a human category in a lot of cultures, i.e. kids don't become new species in middle school just because the English language puts teen at the end of the number 12. The Bible has commands to children and to parents. It addresses young men and older men and older women, but no word about teens. Well, then what then are we to do with them? Well, I think it's helpful for us to pause and sort of zoom out to remember what the Bible does say about our children. And that is, after all, what our teenagers are. They are our children. Older children, more capable children, but still our children. And the Bible is clear about a number of things. Children are a blessing, no caveats. Amen? Teenage children are a blessing. And our God-given task is to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians chapter six, verse four. To teach them the word of God as we sit, walk, get up, lie down, Deuteronomy six, seven. Pray, love, and teach. Show them that they live under authority, ultimately God's. Teach them about this God, his salvation, his ways. Lead them in developing godly character. Prepare them to live, we pray as adults who love and serve Christ. A lot of literature, including Christians, talk about the coming storm and dreading the teen years. I honestly think, brothers and sisters, 
that we should just see this as another season of life that will have its own challenges and its own joys and opportunities. That's why we've called it the privilege and challenge of parenting teens. This is just another phase of life in the life of our children. So let's not approach it with a sense of foreboding. There are opportunities in this season, many wonderful opportunities, opportunities for instruction, for fun, for deeper fellowship. And you will be tested significantly in this season as a parent. You should view this season as something that is for your good. Uh, as one who's in the thick of it right now, uh, I, can, I can say that with uh, just feeling the, the, the weight of those words and knowing that that's true. So, so that's just a bit of an introduction. Let's just talk about the teenage years. First of all, it's a season of change. If, if the fundamentals really aren't different, why this lesson then? If, if teenagers are just our children, if nothing's fundamentally different, and I'm arguing nothing is fundamentally different, then why this lesson? What, if anything, really is different about teens and shepherding them? What, if anything, is different about them? Well, while our teens are still our children, they're gonna go through some significant changes. Um, they're gonna begin to confront more and more of life as they begin to transition from completely dependent to more independent and contributing adult members of society. And during this time of life, number one, they're gonna go through significant physical changes. Puberty. I mention this first because it's the one that seems most intimidating and which touches our kids so fundamentally. And while this lesson is not intended to take us through the talk or the talks, we have to realize that as Paul Tripp puts it, quote, there is an explosion of sexual awareness and sexual temptation in the teenage years, end quote. This is from Age of Opportunity. By the way, I've stolen a ton of this lesson from Age of Opportunity, just so you know. So it's really a plug for the book. Um, he notes that, quote, there is almost nowhere outside of Christian community that a teenager will get anything close to an accurate perspective to this significant area of human life. The writer of Proverbs has much to say about sexual temptation for a reason. Teens are beginning to form patterns of thinking and behavior that are foundational to their adult lives. We must be committed as parents to keep this topic on the table and to approach it with frank and open questions and patient dialogue. So let me just say to you one thing that I've told all of my kids. If you have any questions about sex and sexuality, when you ask me, I am going to tell you straight and I'm gonna give you the real information. And just trust me, your friends who are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, they have no idea uh, they have no idea what they're actually talking about, about sexual intimacy and about sex. They don't have a clue. I know, and I will tell you straight. So come to me, I will not hide anything from you. I will talk with you about this. That's a good thing to do. If you're looking for books to help you have the dreaded talks, these are two good books by the Gilkersons. Uh, it's called The Talk Changes, Seven Biblical Lessons to Make Sense of Puberty, and the, uh, the Talk, Relationships, 11 Lessons to Give Kids a Greater Understanding of Biblical Sexuality. Those are on your list of uh, resources that are recommended there. So puberty, that's a big deal. So it's a season of change, the teenage years. Season of change, puberty, that's number one. Teenagers are also changing in their ability to comprehend and process what's going on in the world. They're growing in their intellect. They're learning more and more from direct experience 
how the world actually works and how to comprehend it. And we can't get away anymore with simple childlike explanations. So, you know, at three years old, it's sufficient to just say, you must obey mommy. At 14, why do I have to obey mommy? The things they face begin to require more wisdom, but in God's plan, they're becoming more and more able to learn that wisdom and apply that wisdom. And in all of this, our teen's relationship with us will also change. So the weight of our duties shifts, and it, and it actually has been shifting from caregiver to trainer, from caregiver to trainer and advisor and mentor as they prepare to leave us, and we can more readily see the day they're not gonna be under our discipline or under our direct care. And in all this change, there are unique dangers and traps that are gonna face teens as they move more into the world and understand more of the world. Peers, right, whether in enticing them to sin or in bullying, right? Their appearance, pornography, ungodly worldviews, the attitude, right? The attitude. Somebody who has teenagers, give me a smile and a head nod. Uh, yeah, yeah, everybody kind of, those of you who are past it are just kind of smiling a little bit. The attitude, which can be more of a temptation as they seek greater freedom and are thinking about more things on their own. By the way, some of the attitude is just them trying to figure out more about how to be a man and how to be a woman. It's not necessarily just rebelliousness. Some, I've found it hard, I found it hard for parents who have been good about exercising their authority, I found it hard for those parents to transition more into this phase where their kids are just thinking more. Uh, and some of the attitude they're getting or they're giving to you is actually a reaction to you not widening the funnel a little bit and giving them room to think and, and figure things out, okay? But you got, you got attitude. Um, you got media. Uh, that is, it is almost impossible not, not almost impossible, it is absolutely frappin' impossible to overstate the potential pitfalls of media, so much so that we're gonna have an entire lesson devoted to it later. So, you know, kids and technology, we're gonna have a whole lesson devoted to it, okay? So whether we call this phase teenaged or not, clearly this is a time of life uh, where, just as in other stages of life, we will confront issues and challenges we have not faced before. Here's my thinking about this. I'm, trying to leave time for questions at the end, so I'm not gonna give time for questions up front. I'm gonna let you ruminate on things, and then we'll have questions at the end. So what does the Bible say about teenagers? Well, if the whole notion of teenager is a recent invention, and not really a category we find in the Bible, by the way, check your concordance, there's not a single reference to teens. Does the Bible have anything for us? Yes, of course it does. The first seven chapters of Proverbs are essentially a wise father giving practical advice to his son. And as you look through those and all the rest of the Proverbs, there are a number of things that are gonna emerge uh, which appear to be tendencies of youth. These aren't meant to fill us with dread as if every teen we see is secretly yearning to become the hard living head of the local biker gang, okay? Rather, they simply help orient us to the sort of things we may have to address as we walk through this phase of life and simply help us to, to better know our teen. So what are things that tend to characterize youth? And I'm taking this out of age of opportunity. Number the first one, no hunger for wisdom or correction. 
Thanks for the smile. It is early. I recognize that. Everybody awake? Beautiful. This is only my second cup of coffee. No hunger for wisdom or correction. Proverbs literally begs us to get wisdom. See Proverbs 4, 1 through 10. And gives stern warnings against scorning instruction. You, brothers and sisters, want to become a salesman or a saleswoman of wisdom. And let me encourage you in this, consistently be dealing with your own heart first. Consistently be dealing with your own heart first. And ask yourself, am I one who listens to rebuke? Ask yourself that. You're going to be rebuking your son or your daughter as they move into these years. And I just want you to ask and answer the question, am I one who is willing to listen to rebuke? Even rebuke from them, even if it's not well phrased or said or exaggerated or emotional or with attitude, are you willing to see the kernel of truth in it, if if there is kernel of truth in it, and are you willing to hear that rebuke and respond in humility? That's modeling wisdom for your teen. Are you pursuing the knowledge of God and his word, etc.? Just think about that. You have to deal with your own heart. Am I one who listens to rebuke? Am I pursuing the knowledge of God and his word? Am I being a man or a woman who seeks for wisdom? You need to ask yourself that. Then you need to seek to win your children for wisdom. Check to see if you respond to your teenager in ways that make wisdom appealing. Check to see if you make the taste of correction sweet Or do you attempt to simply beat or shame your kids into submission with words? Paul told Timothy, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 2 Timothy 4.2. I have not always done that. I have not. And I'm sure you haven't either, but that's what we want to do. Okay? And when we don't, we confess. We just confess our sin to our kids. I've found that as they've gotten older, um, I confess more. And I think that's a good thing because uh, it just lets them know that I know that I'm a sinner, which continues to give me access to speak the truth. And they don't see me as a hypocrite, one who calls them to something but isn't desirous and attempting to walk in the same path that I'm calling them to walk in. Tripp puts it really well. He says, giving wisdom is not hitting your teenager over the head with words. It is putting a lovely garland around his neck. Be persistent and constant and deliberate. Be present and available. Don't just lob grenades of wisdom or what I'm tempted to do. It's, uh, I'm tempted to make everything a teachable moment, okay? So that's my temptation. That's what I'm guilty of is that I will, I will tend to make everything a teachable moment. And if you make everything a teachable moment, then nothing's really a teachable moment because they're kind of like, oh, here it comes, right? So pray for God to use your efforts and to bring wisdom. Uh, here's a fun quote from Mark Twain about this. Um, just speaking of no hus- uh, hunger for wisdom or correction, I, I found this uh, on a, from a different pastor's stuff, but I really liked it. Mark Twain, uh, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> a tendency towards legalism. So if you've ever had a conversation with a teenager or a 10-year-old aspiring teenager, you know that they are masters of the letter of the law. Quibblers without equal, you might say. Uh, They want to run straight to the boundary and say, but I did exactly what you said to do or not do. 
I wanna encourage you to avoid getting pulled into quarrels about words and instead use the opportunities to talk about the heart of obedience and the spirit of the law. They need to learn what it means to have a heart for the, the thrust of what you're calling them to do because they wanna have a heart. You wanna teach them about having a heart for the thrust of what God calls them to do. You don't want them to be trying to live thinking about spiritual things, which the way you parent them teaches them how to think about spiritual things. You don't want them to be thinking about, you know, where's the boundary, how far can I go, you know, I did exactly what you said, but not applying their own wisdom to it. You want them to be thinking about what's the, what's the overall intent here that my parents are calling for, and you want to encourage them to follow that, because that's what you want them to do with God. Uh, a tendency to be unwise in their choice of companions, so that's number three, they have a tendency to be unwise in their choice of companions, so the Bible's clear that bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. When Naomi and I were doing college visits last year and went to Cedarville University, the director of um, career services was giving a presentation to all the students and all of the parents, and he said, I want to show you this morning your kid's future. I want to show you this morning your kid's future. And of course, all these parents who are about to pull out their checkbook and spend millions of dollars. And so we're all sitting there, and he goes, you show me your kid's three best friends, I'll show you your kid's future. And I was like, that's good. And it's right out of, pro, it's right out of 1 Corinthians. Uh, bad company corrupts good morals. The flip side is true. Good company encourages good morals. Your kids' friends have an impact upon your kids' behaviors, thinking, etc. In the very first chapter of Proverbs, the teacher calls for his son's ear, and then he immediately warns about being enticed by evil companions. Yet, friends, in a time when they are yearning for acceptance... Teens are prone to use all of the wrong criteria in, using, in choosing friends. Just think about how a teenage boy chooses a girlfriend. A, she's pretty. B, hopefully she likes me, right? That's the criteria, okay? Um, even for friends of their own sex, teens tend to look for who likes the same music, who accepts them, who's fun to hang out with, These things are not bad in themselves. But notice, there is no thought of character or godliness in there. Teens must learn the skill of choosing friends, and we must help them think about how. I will tell you one extremely encouraging, I will throw myself under the bus this morning, by the way. So, the Lord is humbling me as of late in my parenting, and I am not grateful, grateful for it. Um, but he does also give me encouraging snippets in some ways. So I'm talking to my daughter who is at Grove City and we're talking on the phone and, and, um, and she said, Dad, I want you to know I've just really been praying uh, for, she, I mean, she's been making good friends and it's clear to us she's been making good friends of both girls and boys and we're encouraging all that. We want you to have friends with girls, we want you to have friends with boys, we want you to have a great time, have friends, have fun. And um, she said, I've, and she has been having fun, that's been clear. And uh, she said, Dad, I want you to know I've really been praying for friends that would really encouraging, encourage me in my walk with Christ, and I think that I'm beginning to find a group like that. And when she said that, I was just like, oh, praise God. Oh, I'm done. Uh, can we, you know, all right, we're done, we're done. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's what you, that's what you want to, you know, to get across, um, 
So, uh, so, but approach those conversations, by the way, those, by the way, that's the fruit of conversations that I had with her when she was younger, right? And you want to have those conversations about how they choose their friends, but approach those conversations with some care. Um, so just be careful to avoid name calling, character assassination, or what, what I can be guilty of, panic. Uh, you know, no. You don't want to be friends with those people. Uh, right. So just avoid, avoid panic as well. Um, these are people that your teen believes is affirming him or her. Kindly help him or her to take the emotion out of it, to just take an honest biblical look at who the Bible would have him and her to seek out and to be around. So avoid character assassination, avoid panic, avoid name-calling but talk about it and work through it and encourage them to think about the character, the work ethic, the interests of their friends. Uh, There is also a a susceptibility to sexual temptation. This hardly needs elaboration. Our culture is literally awash in sexual temptation, perversion, permissiveness, to put it mildly. The crucial point here is how your son or daughter is, is to know your son or daughter, and to work hard at keeping honest, frank, and safe lines of communication open. Talk with your kid about sex, and not merely in hypotheticals or general principles. How are they doing in the area of lustful temptation? What sexual lies are they being told and are they believing them? What situations or locations or relationships might present temptation for them? How do you fight temptation? How do you fight temptation, okay? So I tell my son not to trust himself with his phone, and that's why we have accountability software on his phone. And I say, by the way, son, I don't trust myself. There's accountability software on my phone. And that accountability report goes to Steve Thiel in Connecticut, who's a pastor, and it goes to my wife. Brothers and sisters, brothers, if you ever wanna, if you're afraid you might do something dumb, Put an accountability software on your phone and have the report go to your wife and another pastor. Trust me, it will just go like this to temptation, okay? So I model that for my son. Uh, I tell him how I fight temptation and talk to him about how he should fight temptation. So model it for your kids and talk to him about it. How do you fight temptation, right? Husbands, what do you do in a work setting to protect yourself from being in situations where you might be tempted to to do things that you shouldn't do with someone who's not your spouse. Talk to your kids about these things. Let them know that this is something you're thinking about and you're protecting yourself from as well. All right, we'll keep going. Number five, an absence of an eschatological perspective. Big word, just mean eschatological. What does that mean? Can somebody just tell me? Eschatological, what does it mean? End times, good. Has anyone here ever needed to be reminded to take an eternal view? It's more like how often have you needed to be reminded of that? then it should not be a surprise that teenagers can be especially present-focused. They live as if their current moment or their current desire is the most critical thing ever. And the culture and advertisers certainly work to reinforce that feeling. So teens tend to put off responsibilities until the last possible minute, no matter how many times you're encouraging them not to do that. Uh, And they're doing that for the sake of present convenience or present desire or present satisfaction. But we've got to show them the truth that whatever a man sows, that he will reap, that every action is now a seed planted for the future, 
that future good is worth some present discomfort, and ultimately we want them to realize that God is more concerned about their holiness than their happiness, but help them also to see that the way of happiness is ultimately holiness, okay? Does that make sense? God is more concerned about their holiness than their happiness, but hold out to them the sweet apple truth that the way to happiness is actually holiness, right? That is the way to happiness. But that's not, that's not, what they're, that's not what's being sold to them, okay? So we wanna help them uh, see the world and their circumstances through an eternal gospel lens. And then I would also say another thing that characterizes uh, the teen years is just a lack of heart awareness. We've been talking about the heart throughout this whole course. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. We want to know the heart of our teenagers, which means patient and persistent questions and conversations. And we wanna help them see their hearts as they really are. Uh, That means, as we've said, not just addressing behavior. You do address behavior, but you don't just address behavior. We can't just burst into the room, announce the infraction, declare the penalty, deliver a short sermon or a lesson that they should learn, and aha, voila, we're done and move on. I've never done that. (laughs) We've gotta talk and pray and love. We've gotta help them see the heart behind their actions, their true treasures, and what the Bible says to them about every aspect of their lives and their experiences. Okay, let's go to how to pastor our teens. And again, I'm trying to leave time for questions at the end. How to pastor our teens. Uh, The first three of these are out of trips, age of opportunity. Number one, focus on the spiritual struggle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6, 12. 1 Corinthians 4, 18 says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our teenagers tend to live consumed by the things that can be seen. They just live in that world. How they look, what a friend thinks of them, whether this, these clothes are cool, who touch their stuff. Present physical personal happiness trumps eternal blessing in the life of a teen, typically. And guess what? Unfortunately, it often does for us too. So, Ask yourself if you are angry or frustrated because you've told them a thousand times to clean their room or because you really had stuff to get done instead of dealing with their latest explosion of attitude or if you are more concerned with helping them to realize the idols of their heart, right? So the immediate can trump you too in that you're just looking to have a nice night with your spouse and not a long conversation with them, and their actions now are derailing that plan. Okay, this never happens to me, right? So, uh, number two, develop a heart of conviction and wisdom. What we mean here is essentially building a determination to follow God's clear commands and cultivating the ability to make wise choices in matters of broader principle, okay? So you gotta help your teen understand difference between a command and principle. So, clear command. Flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Okay? So, will I stand firm to refuse to look when my friends wanna show me porn on Snapchat? 
okay? Clear command, okay? Principal issue, principal issue. Is this skirt too short, right? Principal issue, do I feel modest in it or am I wearing it because other girls are and maybe I kinda hope guys are gonna take notice? So we live our lives facing situations where we must discern whether there is a biblical command in play or just a principle. And if the latter, what principle and how can I walk in that biblical principle? You wanna help them begin to see those things, okay? The single most important help in this area, Captain Obvious coming, is that they know and learn the Bible. Okay, we must teach them what God's word commands and we must teach them its principles, general principles of authority, grace, truth, wise counsel, integrity, God's sovereignty, glory, etc. And then we wanna walk patiently with our teens as they find themselves in these specific situations and we wanna help them apply principles to their situations, okay? And you wanna connect the dot to your own life. Always try to be connecting the dots for your teenager in how you've walked through things, the good and the bad. Don't make yourself the hero, but don't make yourself the villain. Just be honest with them about how you've walked through things well, how you would've walked through things differently. It just helps keep that relationship, okay? And then teach our teenagers to understand and react redemptively with their culture. So three things, right? These are from Trip. Focus on the spiritual struggle, number one. Develop a heart of conviction and wisdom, number two. And then number three, teach our teenagers to understand and react redemptively with their culture. We will constantly have to be working out how and how much we allow our kids to engage with the world. How to teach them, in other words, to be in the world but not of the world. We can simply sequester them at home, homeschool, No movies, no non-Christian friends. But that risks leaving them naive and unprepared for the real world, and worse, hiding our light under a bushel and not learning how to witness to a needy but unsympathetic world, okay? On the other hand, a lax, hey, they're gonna have to see it sometime attitude will obviously put them at risk of losing their saltiness or being drawn away and ensnared by the devil. Instead, we need to arm them with the word, think previous point, know the Bible, help them understand commands and principles, difference between the two, how to walk in both, okay? We need to teach them uh, how, we need to teach them the word, and we need to teach them to understand that God created all things good. We've corrupted them, teach them that nothing in our culture is completely neutral, but it will tend to either help or hinder our walk with God. Teach them, to, teach them the hidden dangers and lies in what the world says is good. Teach them the insidious nature of the cultural air that we breathe and set boundaries where you know their hearts need them and then talk about why you put them there. Okay. Again, I would encourage you not to freak out, not to freak out whenever they discover a new band, download it um, and listen to it. I would encourage you to listen to it with them. Talk about how it reveals the heart of the culture and then how the gospel speaks to what they see around them. Okay. So let's just talk about some do's and don'ts. 
And this is where I'm moving away from trip and really kind of just moving towards um, thoughts for you. So do's and don'ts in this season, and then we'll have time for questions, hopefully about seven, eight minutes. Do. Do enforce appropriate rules. You are the authority. I have seen parents in this age, age frame, really lose their way here, and they don't appropriately enforce rules. You are the authority. They are still your children, and they need to be under your authority. You need to enforce rules. You need to enforce household rules. Um, So in other words, they may have no interest in following certain rules. They may not be Christians, but they need to follow the household rules, whatever they are, regardless as to whether they're interested in them or not. And I would strongly encourage you that part of the household rules needs to be coming to church with you and having a good attitude about that. And why would you do that? Because if you want to get hit by a Mack truck, where are you going to go? That's actually a real question. Where are you going to go if you want to get hit by a Mack truck? The highway. Where are you going to go if you want to get hit with the gospel of Jesus Christ? The church. You want them to get hit with the gospel like a Mack truck? Um, don't think, well, they don't like it, so they're not going to be interested. They're already not interested. So bring them to church and insist that they have a good attitude about it because they're part of your household so that they can be put in front of the Mack truck of the gospel, okay? So please don't lose your way on that. Do enforce appropriate rules. You are the authority. Do engage the relationship. Trips, talks, not everything is a teachable moment. Gifts, time, honesty, confession, fun. All of these things are really important. You really have to do two things here in these do's, in this, in this particular do and don't. You do need to enforce appropriate rules. You do need to engage the relationship. If you only do one, you're going to lose your way. You've got to do both. I'll tell you honestly, we've been having a difficult time with one of our kiddos, but I've just been engaging the relationship and I've been seeing some fruit from that, okay? Um, So do engage the relationship. Do encourage and affirm. This is very important. Do encourage and affirm. Every opportunity you get, encourage and affirm. They really need to know as much as you're calling them to obey and don't like it when they disobey, and can get frustrated with them when they do that, that you, doggone it, are proud of them. You're really proud uh, of that B, because they worked hard for that B. You're really proud that, you know, they held the door for so-and-so. You're really proud that they are continuing to get up on time and get to the bus. You're really proud that, you know, Uh, They're remembering when this homework assignment is done. You're really proud. I mean, just be proud of everything. Don't think, well, that's not all that big of a deal. Of course it's not, but you want them to know you're proud of them. Um, So uh, this is not, you know that I despise the cult, you know, the give a trophy for everything world that we're in. I don't think that's helpful for kids. Um, But your kids need to know that you are proud of them for real things that they are really doing, okay? Small things. Don't let any thought come into your mind of I don't want to puff them up with pride. Believe me, uh, that's not a concern you should be worried about. Um, 
as it relates to encouraging your kids, okay? There's lots of discouraging things coming their way. You want to encourage your kids as much as you can. Okay, don't go all law and no relational connection. This is a huge danger, and I've seen it play out in my own life and in the life of others. Here's how it happens. You're in a season of conflict with your teen. You're going to be tempted to distance yourself because you're frustrated with them, right? You're going to be tempted to distance yourself. Don't do it. Keep pressing in on the relationship. Keep telling them you love them, not just when you're correcting them. (laughs) Um, Keep investing, and I know that it is hard to have a somewhat one-sided relationship. Is that not hard? To have a somewhat one-sided relationship? That can be hard. That may happen to you in the teenage years. It may not. Okay, I don't want to say it's going to. It may or it may not. But even if it is, you need to be okay with having that mostly one-sided relationship and not be mad at them. Instead, keep pursuing even if they're disinterested. And you're just okay with that. Okay? Uh, Don't be permissive out of fear of losing them or driving them away. This is another temptation I think parents feel in the teenage years. You become permissive out of fear of losing them Uh, or driving them away. Let me just tell you, you will lose them if you are permissive because left to themselves, given teenage tendencies, they are not going to pursue wisdom and truth on their own. They need boundaries set by you. And provided you are doing the other things that I'm talking about, namely engage the relationship, you will not lose them, okay? Now, if you go all law and no relationship, you might lose them but it's not because you enforced rules. It's because you didn't continue to try to engage the relationship, okay? So you've got to do both. Along these lines, do not be afraid to apply pressure or leverage. So let's just be straight. When they're little, you can spank, and that's your leverage. And the pain of spanking is a disincentive to whatever actions they are doing that are not appropriate and right, okay? When they get older, you lose that, that, uh, that sweet spot, okay? But that does not mean you don't have leverage. Parents, you have all the leverage in the world, and you need to use that leverage when it becomes necessary. I will be straight with you. You need to make the pain of the consequences significant enough that it outweighs the pleasure of whatever it is that you want them to avoid, Okay, so let me just give you examples of leverage that you have. They have a cell phone. They don't have to have a cell phone. So the the cell phone can become yours. It is yours. Everything they have is yours. Come on. Um, They have friends. Those friends can be taken away. Those friends can be taken away if if they can't handle those relationships. They have a car. That car can be taken away. And you're like, but I can't do that because that's really inconvenient for me. Parenting is inconvenient. Take away the car, talk to your boss, let them know you're going to be an hour late to work because you've got a family situation and they'll probably work with you. So if they can't handle the responsibility of the car, then they don't get the car. Um, school. You may need to make a school change. I can't make a school change. That's too big of a change. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can make a school change if you need to make a school change. I wouldn't encourage you to do it in a reactionary way. But you can make a school change if you need to make a school change. 
What I'm saying is that you have all the leverage in the world in your child's life, even as they're a teenager. They're just different tools. And you can't be afraid to use that when you need to use it. Oftentimes I find parents afraid to use that leverage because they're afraid they're gonna drive them away. And what I say to parents and to myself is that provided you're engaging the relationship, you're not going to drive them away. But you are still the authority. You are still the authority. And I think it's hard for us to grab a hold of that in our particular culture right now because we're in our particular culture where basically whatever the kid is wanting to do, the default is they should be able to do that. The, you know, the expressive, emotional, I define my reality and my, my ways, thinking, okay? Um, so don't be afraid to apply pressure. Do be humble, confess your sin, confess, confess, confess your sin to your kiddos. Do be clear, your role is not to be their friend yet, okay? The real way, with, the real way to be friends with your kids is to not be friends with your kids, at certain times in their life, and this is one of them. You need to be okay with them not liking you for a season, okay? You need to be okay with them not liking you for a season. Now, you can't ever not like them, and, and if they're in a bad way, sometimes you're not gonna like them, and you just need to repent of that, um, and you may need to repent to them with that. I've done that. So, if you don't like them, that's off limits, um, and you need to repent of that and you may need to repent in front of them for that. But it, it's okay for them to not like you during a season. It's okay. Uh, you need to um, be okay with them thinking that you're the mean parent that won't let them do anything that they want to do. You need to be okay with that. You just need to be okay with that. Parenting is tough. Shish kebab. It's tough. Somebody encourage me. <laughs> Looking for an amen. amen? Thank you. All right. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. You need the church. Talk to others. Ask others to pray for you and with you and be honest with others about what's going on. There is no need to hide and I actually want to stop here and I want to finish with this here. I want to tell you pastorally, I'm actually very concerned about this in our congregation. I've had multiple people tell me in the congregation that they don't really feel like they can talk because there are so many people here that just have it together. And I've told those people, if you knew half the things that I've known, you would not say that. I'm so glad you're telling me, and I just would ask you to tell the congregation and stop thinking you need to pretend like it's fine. Uh, I'm pretty concerned about this as your pastor. I sense a real hesitancy to be honest about sin and struggle. I can't tell my brothers and sisters this. And that attitude in our church is gonna keep us in a place of shallowness, It is going to personally rob us from the joy of seeing the gospel transform our lives because we don't know how much folks have grown. I wish you knew how much certain folks in this room have grown in certain things that you don't know about. And I wish you did. And so I just wanna encourage you, I'm sorry, I didn't see that coming. I just wanna encourage you to be honest with what's going on in your life as a parent and otherwise because then you'll be helped. Uh, the gospel will be seen to be beautiful because the gospel is for people that are jacked up and then we get to see the gospel transform you and your family and we get to praise God for all that he does. So the gospel's really exposed all of us 
uh, we might as well be honest with each other about the specifics, okay? So, so please don't not share with your brothers and sisters really what's going on in your home. Not saying you need to put a megaphone on and just plaster it over Facebook. In, face, in, in fact, stop using Facebook to really confess all of your struggles. Stop it. Instead, confess it to the people in this room. If you can confess it to the ether, you can confess it here. Pastoral fire, Uh, all right? Old pastoral fire for you. Um, I think it's easy to be vulnerable with the ether because people aren't in front of us. But that's actually twisted. Something's not right about that. Um, Confess it to the people in this room, not to the, the people in the ether. All right. Well, guess what? We're out of time. I left no time for questions. But I'm going to give a couple of minutes for questions, and we're going to keep the other people out there. It's like a concert that they don't have access to yet because they didn't come, and that's too bad for them. (laughs) So what questions do you have? And we're just going to go on. Do you have any questions? Sonia. Okay. Um, With the friends making good relationships, um, one of the things I want my boys to know about public school is that they're not better than anybody else. You know? um, and I think, you know, at first when they go, they come home and they're like, oh, mama, this kid is bad, and this kid is good. And they get that right. And they want to be with the good ones, right? They don't want to be with bad. Yes. That's good. And I'm just like, nope, stop. We're all bad. And you're bad, too. You know, we talk about that. And um, I want them to, to love everybody, you know? And so they're drawn to the good kids, right? But um, as they get older, you know, Baxter's age, um, he's wanting to maybe go to a kid's house um, or something like that who I might not particularly want him to have a close relationship with. But I still want him to see himself not as better than that kid. Um, and also, as part of that question is, um, Baxter's teacher has told me that uh, he is like a leader and a good example, especially for some kids who have behavioral problems um, and things like that. Um, and that he's doing a good job of like befriending them and teaching them how to kind of obey and do what's right. And you know, the, 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 that kid might um, get a reward for sitting still and they get to go like watch a movie during lunch or something and they get to choose one person and they'll choose Baxter. You know, uh, and those are the things like his teacher wants me to be proud of him for, and I am. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I want to make sure that he's choosing, all three of them are choosing really good friendships. Um, but not, not being like Pharisees and being yeah. like, but we're, we're the good kids. Well, it sounds you know? like you're dealing with it well and that you're talking to them about that just very honestly. So if that's the concern you have, talk to your child about it honestly, which you're doing. And I would also say, in terms of not, you know, in, in my house at least, we, because we wanted to discourage relationships of, with people that we just didn't know necessarily. So I wouldn't have my kiddos go over to people's houses that I didn't know. I would invite them to our house so that we could still just test out that relationship and see how that was going. So that's you maybe some. Say like, yeah. oh, um, Johnny is, I kind of know he's a naughty kid. I prefer my kid not to be a very good friend with him, so let me not invite him over. If Johnny is really naughty and I, and I know Johnny is really naughty, then yeah, I might go that route. But and if I just don't know, then I would have the kid over. Spend and time the way you approach this to your kid is like, I prefer you not to hang out with him because he might correct you, or would you, like... <laughs> I might put it slightly differently. <laughs> but basically, yes. Yeah. I don't think that's a good person for you to spend a lot of your time around, sweetie. 
And it's not that you're better than him or anything like that. That's not the case. But who, who we do give ourselves to impacts and affects who we are. And I don't think that's going to be the best influence for you. So I want you to be super kind to him. I want you to relate to him well and with gentleness and kindness. But I don't think that's the person you want to be best friends with. So with, with like Naomi, when she was in high school, at the beginnings of high school, and we were, this is where I was seeing this come more into play. I was like, hey, be friends with them, but don't be close friends with them. Like make a distinction between friends and close friends. Close friends, you want to be people who you know are going to encourage you in all the right things. Friends, be friends with everybody. Yeah. But close friends, let's reserve those for this. That's how I handled that. I feel like we are simply out of time. So I'm sorry. Please look at your, uh, please look at your recommended book list. And there's one on there that I didn't have written down, but I think it's very good. The Life and Faith Field Guide for Parents by Joe Carter. This is actually a good book that didn't make your list. And also, let me just tell you, if you're here and you're discouraged because you think that you've just really not done a good job or whatever, um, I could join you in that, uh, in that sentiment and in that feeling, but it's never too late to just do what you can with the time that you have and commit your young one to the Lord, okay? So let me pray. Lord, thanks for this day. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.